With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. I've got another confession to make. Ryan Ballinger. It's great to have you here with us, and we are presented by BetDSI.com. You can get a hold of me on Twitter, at Ryan Ballinger. You can also get a hold of Golf News Net on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at the handle Golf News Net. Download the Golf News Net app for your Apple and Android devices. Our work's at GolfNewsNet.com, as well as Yahoo Sports' Double Ball Golf blog on Sports.Yahoo.com. As mentioned, we are presented by BetDSI.com. We use BetDSI's odds every week for our PGA Tour and European Tour and sometimes LPGA Tour odds posts. And if you're in that part of the world where you can do this legally, it's great because you can see the money as it moves, the percentage on each player to win or place depending on what kind of bet that you make and live odds updated throughout the week. So check out BetDSI.com. Obviously, we have plenty to talk about related to the Open Championship, the great showdown between Henrik Stenson and Phil Mickelson. But we also want to take some time out of this week's show, and we'll do this in the second half of the program, to talk about an event that I've been involved with in the past, either directly or have promoted indirectly, and that is World's Largest Golf Outing. And you may have heard of it, you may have not heard of it, but it is an event, an annual event put on by Billy Casper Golf, and it raises money and awareness for charities related to military, servicemen and women, veterans, wounded veterans, retired, active, and it's a wonderful event where last year 12,000 people played on more than 100 golf courses around the country at the same time on the same day to raise money for charity. So this year we are going to have Billy Casper Golf CEO and my former boss Peter Hill on to talk about the world's largest golf outing from Billy Casper Golf's perspective. And then David Coker will also join us. He is the president of the Fisher House Foundation, which is now the primary beneficiary of this event that raised more than $1 million for charity last year, and they are aiming to do so again this year. So that will be the second half of the show. But I wanted to do 10, 15 minutes on Stenson and Mickelson. And it's kind of – I mean, I've been trying to think about how I'm going to talk about this for a few days, and I've done a number of radio interviews, and I I keep coming back to the same things. I keep coming back to numbers, and and maybe that's because we do a lot of fantasy research and – you kind of look into history and you think about the history of the game. But the way that I see it, this is the greatest major championship 
final day duel in history. And I think that the numbers back that up pretty substantially. Obviously, Henrik Stenson shot 63. He won by three in the tournament, won by Phil, over Phil Mickelson by two on the day. Mickelson shot 65. And if you think about what was accomplished by Henrik Stenson, he opened with a bogey. He had a three-putt bogey in the back nine, one eleven, And he still made 10 birdies, and he shot 63. So if he doesn't three-putt those two holes, if he doesn't leave the birdie putt, went 17 on the low side, and I'm sure you could find another one in there that kind of lipped the edge or something like that, especially on the front nine where that was amazing back and forth. It could have easily been a 59. It was, It's not that hard to conceive Henrik Stenson shooting 59 in a major championship round. Obviously, the outcome is 63. That's still incredible. And then you've got Phil Mickelson, who played the best final round of his life in a major championship. Bogey-free 65. Four birdies and an eagle. He was astounding. He was great. And that wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough that day, and it wasn't good enough in total for the week. He lost by three. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to believe that that happened, given how well that they played. Between them, they shot 128, which is by far the best combined score by the two players in a final pairing of a major championship in history. If you want to even extend it to the times, the rare times you had to do a three ball, you could take the best two out of three, and you would still wind up with those guys as the best. Because for them to have been matched, you would have needed someone to shoot a pair of 64s because two 63s have never been done. And so you'd have to get two 63s or a 63 and a 64 or two 64s to tie in the final pairing. And that just that does not happen. That doesn't happen. So the, the level of golf was so incredibly high between them. And if, if this were somehow turned into the best ball open, they would have shot 59 in the final round between them on a better ball. That That's, again, dumbfounding, especially considering that what was on the line. I mean, this, this for Phil Mickelson, was an opportunity to become a six-time major champion at the age of 46. Would have had a second open championship. And it, had the last time we come to Royal Troon for the, the open championship, had I told you that Mickelson would win an Open in dramatic fashion at Muirfield, of all places, and three years later he would have an opportunity to win a second Open at Royal Troon, you would have looked at me funny. You, you would have said, there's no way. I mean, this guy is not destined to win a British Open. He's This isn't who he is. This isn't what he's interested in. He's going to win at least one or two U.S. Opens. And you would have been totally wrong. We all would have been dumbfounded. And instead, he doesn't get the major, obviously, but he does get another second place finish this year. That's a, that's a third one at Pebble Beach and Memphis and obviously here. And I, I think this goes to further Phil Mickelson's legend a little bit. And I, I don't say that in jest. I say that seriously. I mean, I know he's had 11 second place finishes in major championships. I got it. But this one really kind of codifies a lot of the things that have happened to Phil Mickelson in the majors. And I think it brings it all back to several of his close calls. Because you think about this one. Henrik Stenson shot the 72-hole record in aggregate score in a major championship, 264. He also tied the record in a major championship against par, 20 under par. Jason Tay did that last year in winning the PGA Championship by three over Jordan Spieth. So he's run into that buzzsaw. 
and the guy shot 63 to win. So even add that to it. Then you go back last year. You go to the, to the 2015 Masters. Mickelson finished tied for second. He finished tied for second with Justin Rose at 14 under par. That 14 under par score would have at the time, and still holds up, would have won 74 of 79 Masters played. It now would have won 74 of 80 Masters played. Then go back even a little bit farther, in, in, further in history, and you've got 14 years behind, and the 01 PGA to Atlanta Athletic Club, Phil Mickelson, lost by two, shooting 267, and he lost to David Toms, who shot 265, which until Sunday was the 72-hole aggregate scoring record in a major championship. So of his second-place finishes, he's got three right there, three in just agonizing fashion, playing amazing golf that would have won most every other version of that major ever played, losing to a guy playing the best golf of their life. Then you add in six second-place finishes at the U.S. Open, and very few of those, unfortunately, were where he was beaten by a better man that day or that week. But you could put all those together, and probably half of the 11 were on him, and five of the 11 were someone else playing the golf of their life to get the job done. I think that just tells you what kind of bad luck Mickelson might have had in the major championships over the years. And of course, I know he's done plenty to nuke himself in a major championship. But when you look back on it now, you go, okay, he's, he's had all these second-place finishes, and so many of them weren't his fault. I mean, the putt, if the putt for 62 goes down, that helps. Uh, on Sunday at Troon, if the or on Thursday at Troon, on Sunday, if the putt for Eagle on 16 goes down, maybe that helps put up a little bit of pressure on Stenson on 17 and 18. I think 18 was just kind of the bonus. Stenson wasn't, was trying to make the putt, but it didn't really matter. It just kind of happened to go in. But maybe that makes 17 a little bit more interesting for both Mickelson and Stenson. I mean, Stenson put it with the honor to, what, six feet, seven feet. And Mickelson knew with after his tee shot there was really nothing left to do. But beyond that, I mean, you think about a, a couple of other instances where Mickelson may have made a mistake, but it, it wasn't a mistake that you would expect him to correct. Certainly on Sunday, he played perfect golf, I thought. And Stenson just played more perfect golf. And for Stenson... This is a wonderful capstone. Hopefully it's not a capstone. Hopefully it leads to more things. But if it is the capstone in his career, it's amazing. Because he may only win one major championship, but it's the best one we've ever seen. At least in terms of a mono mono duel on the final Sunday. And if that's the way you go down, if that's the, the pinnacle of your achievement, it's pretty good if you're only going to win one, maybe two, or three of them in his career. And this isn't to say Stenson's ever going to win another major championship. He's been in the top three so many different times, what, seven times in the top three, I think, over the course of his career, and he finally got through. And he still strikes the ball as well as he ever has, even at 40 years old. I mean, I know he's probably lost a few yards off the tee compared to when he was nuclear in his early 30s, but he still hits that three with 310 yards, as he showed on the 72nd hole of the tournament. And he still strikes the ball incredibly well from tee to green amazingly accurate, obviously. We saw that for four rounds <laughs> at Troon. The thing that really is interesting to me is the putting display, because I never thought Henrik Stenson would win a major where it turned into a shootout, because he's just not that good of a putter. 
It's somewhere in the 175 range on the PGA Tour in strokes gained putting. It's just kind of how it goes. But I think for him, figuring it out when these greens was especially the right place at the right time. Because Troon's greens don't have huge breaks. You probably heard Johnny Miller, maybe it was Nick Faldo say, that more often than not, the read is no more than a cup outside. It's pretty straight. The matter is getting the pace right, the distance right. And if you can do that, then you're going to you're going to putt pretty well. And, and I don't think this was a golf course, save for the, the Paul Casey five putt that he had earlier in the week, where you saw a lot of frustrated guys. I mean, you saw a lot of putts short because they had a hard time adjusting to the green speed, especially when they didn't cut them and roll them going into the third round. But overall, I, I think Stinson was a huge benefit to him to putt on slower greens because he didn't really have to worry about the, the line and speed. I mean, line matters, of course. you got to start it where it needs to go. But being able to read greens that were extremely delicate wasn't the question mark. It, it, it true, at least. I mean, it has been for, for Stenson in the past. So I don't think all of a sudden he's going to transform into the greatest putter that ever lived. But if he can put together weeks like this one where he putts extremely well, and it, it just kind of works out that he's a, a pretty good putter. I mean, obviously, this is the putting week of his lifetime. I don't think he's going to replicate this at any other time in a major championship. But to be able to do this and putt this well, I mean, I, I think that was the most stunning part of it all, given Stenson's background. For him to be the first major champion that's a man, from a Swedish man, I think is fascinating. I think it exp it's cool to expand the number of countries that have won a men's major championship. Obviously, Annika won 10 majors in, in her career, so she she's already been on the board for a while. But to have Stenson do it, especially at a venue in 1997 where we thought Jesper Parnovic was going to be that guy, was going to be the first Swedish male to do it, and he obviously didn't get it done. Justin Leonard won, what was it, 65 to close on that Sunday. So... I, uh, I, I mean, there's just, it's so good. It was so good. And I, I, in one sense, I'm sad because we have a major next week and it's the PGA Championship, and I know it's not, it just can't be as good. I, I just don't think it can be. I don't think that's possible. Maybe it could be. But basically, we just watched the best major we'll probably ever watch in our lifetime. And that even goes back to the duel in the sun, where both Jack Nicholas and Tom Watson have weighed in and said they thought Troon was better. They thought the quality of golf was better. And, and that is true, and I will defend Nicholas and Watson from Turnberry in 77 and say that they had really a 36-hole duel for the weekend. That was better in terms of the, the weekend rounds. But for an 18-hole final day match, there's probably none better in the history of major championship golf. And that's really cool to have seen. I hope you got to see it as it happened or you recorded it and you watched it basically unfold without fast forward except through the commercials. If you did that, then uh, stay, save it. Save it for your kids. Save it for yourself. Put it on some device that you think is still going to be relevant in 20 or 30 years. It's It was that good. And I would, I would happily watch that 18 holes again in place of a lot of PGA Tour golf. It, it just to see golfers playing on that level is astounding, unheard of. It deserves all the superlatives. But there aren't a lot that you need to say. It's just the best. Wow, amazing, incredible. You do, the best things are the ones you use the least words to describe. 
or you have the ability to come to the least words to describe something like this, falling in love, having kids. It's just, you just can't sum it up. And, or it's so good that all you need to sum it up is a couple of words and everyone gets it when you tell them, wow, that was the best or, or that was amazing. That that's all that people need to know. So we've been extremely fortunate to be able to watch this. And like I said, I feel sorry for the PGA of America because they're going to have to live up to this uh, in just a few days. Uh, you know, a week from now, basically, we're going to start a major championship again. And I don't know how they're going to top it, but uh, we should get a good PGA championship. And I think this will be a great potential to boost both Stenson and Mickelson's chances to win at Baltusrol. Obviously, Stenson's a great ball striker riding a high. And then you've got Mickelson, who won the PGA here in 2005, the last time it was played here. So he has some good vibes, not only in in the present, being so close to winning a major championship, three times a runner-up this year, but he also has the good vibes from, from the venue. And I think that makes someone extremely dangerous. I mean, every week we do these fantasy picks. Whether you read them or not, the gist is basically we pick guys who are playing well now and guys who are horses for courses, and we love the guys who are both horses for courses and playing well right now. That sounds like Phil Mickelson to me. So if he can play extremely well at Baltusrol, it would be a really cool story to see him do well. Then again, at the same time, we're looking at the possibility of having four first-time major winners this year. And in what I feel is a unique way. I mean, Danny Willett kind of comes into his own just before turning 30 you know, in his late 20s and realizes his ability after being such a highly talented amateur. That's not quite on the same level as Dustin Johnson winning, breaking through all of those heartbreaks in the major championships to get the job done. And then you've got Henrik Stenson, a guy who's 40, obviously closer to the tail end of his career than the beginning, finally figuring it out, finally getting it done and doing it in extraordinary fashion. We've got a guy in his 20s, a guy in his 30s, and a guy in his 40s who have won major championships this year. And that's not to say a guy who is 50-plus is going to win the PGA Championship next week, but Phil Mickelson's pretty close to 50. He's past 45, 46. So I think that would be a fascinating way to go through the year, but we could also have someone like a Sergio Garcia who has finished in the top five in the last two major championships. Maybe he finally finds his time. This is going to be a ball striker's golf course. It, it's not easy to get around Baltusrol from tee to green. And, and the greens aren't all that difficult. I mean, they have some spots where they're difficult, and there are a couple holes where the greens are kind of outrageous. But by and large, this is going to be a ball striker's golf course, I think. And that should bode well for someone like Sergio Garcia. So th think about guys like that as you're trying to think about who you like next week at, at Balsasrol. So we're going to go ahead and skip over toward the, make our pivot toward the world's largest golf outing. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to be joined by two guys in consecutive recorded conversations. So first I spoke with Peter Hill, who is the CEO of Billy Casper Golf, which presents world's largest golf outing. And I think this is the sixth year for it now. Um, but I, I was a part of it in 2014 when I worked for Billy Casper Golf. And I've seen firsthand what it means to the company, what it means to the people who play, and also to military servicemen and women who are aware of it, who want to be a part of it and to a number of people who have been in the military, and among them many wounded warriors and wounded veterans who took up the sport as part of their recovery and what golf means to them. So I, I wanted to have Peter on to talk about World's Largest Golf Outing and maybe inspire a couple of you to participate. It's on August 1st 
Uh, you can go to worldslargestgolfouting.com to check out the entire number of courses that are participating. I, I know there are more than 100 around the country, so you can see if there's one near you. And then our second guest, who I actually spoke with first, but we're going to order him second for the purposes of our podcast, is David Coker, and he is the president of Fisher House Foundation. Um, Fisher House Foundation is now the primary beneficiary of this one-day event. And previously it had been the Wounded Warrior Project. As many of you know, the Wounded Warrior Project has come under heavy scrutiny, and several people have resigned at the executive level from that organization for their overhead and their handling of fundraising and the money that's been raised and how salaries are paid to WWP staff and things like that. So kudos to Billy Casperall for making that pivot toward an organization that will not come under the same scrutiny and has been around and doing good work for nearly 25 years. So I wanted to have David come on and not only talk about this partnership with Billy Casper Golf and World's Largest Golf Outing, but also about Fisher House and what they do at their 70 and growing number of Fisher Houses around the country and what this event means to them and hopefully raise a little bit of, of awareness of what they do. So let's start with Peter. We'll come back and then we'll bring on David. Peter, thanks for being on with us. Uh, as some folks know, I've, I have a history with Billy Casper Golf. I've been a part of, of World's Largest Golf Outing, at least some very small extent in, in years prior. And I, I really value this event. I think it's one of the great things that golf does, and I think it's remarkable that you can have 30,000, 40,000 people play golf in a day behind a common cause. But for folks who aren't familiar with WLGO, can you give them a little bit of background on how the concept came to be and how it's evolved into where it is now? Sure. Uh, it just started as an idea to figure out, geez, if you operate more than 100 golf courses, is there anything you could do uh, to sort of aggregate all that kind of scale? And I got the idea to have an outing on a, uh, one day at all golf courses, states pretty much simultaneously, and uh, just to sort of do it as a novelty event. And then as it, in advance of doing the first one, we said, geez, it would be a nice opportunity to try to raise money for a cause. And we thought about a lot of different causes, and we've sort of centered on kind of military veterans and families of military uh, personnel. And that was the genesis. So we started the first year in 2011 pretty modestly. I think we had 40 or 50 golf courses and 2,000 players. And then last year in 2015 set a record where we had more than 120 golf courses and more than 12,000 golfers and raised more than a million dollars in a single day for uh, for um, benefit of uh, of the military families and warriors. Uh, and it was a, it's marvelous. And, and frankly, what surprised us is the outpouring of kind of emotion and support. So we've tapped into a sort of a vein of patriotism in uh, among the American golfing population and Americans in general uh, who say, yeah, it's a fun event, and boy, if I can support something along the way that means you know, help to help support and preserve and protect, that help support the people who preserve and protect our freedom, that's a pretty good thing. So it's it's been neat, Ryan, and uh, we're delighted to keep the tradition going and have it grow. Now you've teamed up with with Fisher House this year to make them the, the primary beneficiary of all of the money that you guys raise. Before we ask about them. I'd like you to speak a little bit about how Billy Casper Golf basically takes the overhead 
out of world's largest golf outing and contributes the maximum amount of money humanly possible to these outings, from these outings, these simultaneous outings, to Fisher House this year for the first time. And what that means to you and what that means to the, the myriad folks throughout Billy Casper Golf who work on world's largest golf outing and make it a great day throughout the entire portfolio of courses that you guys either own or manage. Right. So, uh, so the, the economics are pretty straightforward. Uh, people sign up in order to play in the event, and they register a team. And a team is anywhere from two to four people. And I think last year, I, I think we had 5,000 teams play or 4,000 teams play. It's remarkable. And so a team creates a team. Uh, they, they develop a page, and then they can start their fundraising. So what they do is they reach out to their to their friends and family and say, I'm playing in the world's largest golf outing, and if you'd like to make contributions on behalf of my team as a fundraiser, please do that. So 100% of those proceeds, those donations that go that teams raise, goes to the Fisher House Foundation. Uh, so there is a 100% pass-through of all contributions uh, made on, on behalf of teams go to Fisher House. Meanwhile, the, the golfers actually pay a greens fee in order to go play in the event at the, whatever golf, golf course they're located at. And a portion of the greens fee gets donated to Fisher House as well. So uh, there, there are really three beneficiaries here. Uh, one, the golf courses actually generate revenue uh, as they, because they, they, they receive greens fees in consideration for people playing the golf course. But they donate a part of that back. The golfers receive a benefit because they get to play in a cool event, which is a one-of-a-kind, the largest of its kind. And then Fisher House receives all of the proceeds directly from contributions. Frankly, the majority of the money which is donated to Fisher House actually comes from individuals' voluntary contributions to the team site, and as well as there's additional fundraising, which is done on site the day of the event. So it's it's pretty spectacular, and um, uh, it's a so. Um, yeah, and it's just been a we've been very well received and we're excited for what's gonna happen this year. How did you guys how did you personally even reach out to Ken Fisher and the gang at Fisher House, getting them involved this year and, and how was that courting process of making them such a big part of WLGO? How did that work out? There are lots of uh, nonprofits that support military warriors and families of military and veterans. And so we visited with several and we, we selected Fisher House because they have a incredible mission and it's actually quite simple. And frankly, they're not that well known. Uh, and their mission is simply to provide no cost housing and lodging for family members who are, want to be near their uh, their, their, their family members who are members of the military or veterans who are receiving medical care throughout the United States. So as you know, the best medicine is family love and family members can be close to persons when they're receiving medical treatment. Uh, it increases the likelihood of they'll, that they'll have a successful recuperation and recovery. And those stays in the hospital, hospital stays for the veterans and the, and the warriors, may last days, weeks, or months. And so Fisher House provides no-cost lodging at 70 locations throughout the country. And they have the equivalent of being able to provide a 1,000 families a night the ability to stay for free. And those, those, those family visits will last anywhere from a couple of days to 
unlimited amount of time, although months or even half a year and so forth. The economic benefit to the families is enormous because essentially they're getting to be near their loved ones at a time of critical need um, and in and, and, and support of military and, uh, warriors and veterans. And we just said, boy, does that ring true? Is that a, it's, a, it's, uh, it's just a wonderful, uh, wonderful mission that Fisher House started in, uh, in 1990. Um, and so uh, we're pleased to support it. And they are they're local. They happen to be in Rockville, Maryland. Uh, we visited with them. We spent a lot of time with them. And they run a really, really well-run well, well organization, and they're growing. So they have 70 facilities today, and they're increasing that by a couple of, you know, anywhere from two to four facilities on an annual basis. So they're expanding their mission, expanding their reach, which is really, really important. In addition to the charitable component of this, there are a number of military veterans who either participate as players or become a part of World's Largest Golf Outing on the day of and so many of the facilities that host these host this event. How has that transformed the event for the people who weren't part of the military individually who didn't necessarily serve, who may have been in a military family or who knows somebody who's in the military. What, what does it mean to have that involvement for people who are civilians? Uh, it's emotional. Um, I've spent personally a lot of time with uh, uh, veterans uh, uh, who have uh, served uh, and not been wounded and veterans who have been wounded. Last year, I think we had more than 550 veterans play. Um, majority of them were actually wounded. And to spend time with those people who have who have gone through and made a contribution and frankly sacrificed for the benefit of all of us is just frankly an emotional experience. And it's it's it, it's an it's just sort of a natural process to reach out and, and greet them and thank them for what they've done and the sacrifice that they've made. So there's a lot of emotion there because it goes from being a, a abstract idea to looking someone in the eye and shaking their hand and putting a hand on the shoulder and saying thanks. And uh, and then the world's largest golf outing is just a vehicle in which in order to in order in, in order to be able to, to uh expressly support them and uh so it's a um it's an emotional time uh, and and these are people who are uh who are um, not looking for charity. Uh they're there because they 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 provided service, uh, and they are um, stalwarts, uh, brave, uh, and um, basically managing everyday life is the way that is the way that they uh, they've been trained and accustomed to. They're remarkable people, and it's it's inspirational to be around them. What is your goal for this year's world's largest golf outing? And and I probably asked you this before when you were my boss. What are your goals for the world's largest golf outing three, five years from now? So this year, our goal is to exceed our number of players that we had last year, as well as our fundraising. And uh, I think we're going to do that. And then uh, what I'd like to, what I'd like to express this is if you sort of close your eyes and just imagine not 120 or 150 golf courses participating in this, but 300 or 500 or 1,000. It's an amazingly powerful uh, platform in order to uh, uh, in order to enact and uh, activate in order to in order to do fundraising. So, World's Largest Golf Outing has the potential to become the vehicle that will, in any single day, raise more money for charity than really any other, not only any other golf event, but really many other sporting events. So, the, the 
possibilities are limitless, and so uh, we've proven sort of the validity of the uh, YWLGO makes sense and it resonates, and I think we can build upon that. And so uh, we're looking forward for many, many years to come to continue to grow it and expand it and increase its its, its component of uh, charitable giving uh, to military and veterans and, and warriors. So we talked about WLGO for about 10 minutes now, and we haven't done the critical part, which is letting people know the five W's, who, what, where, when, and why. So when is World's Largest Golf Outing this year, and how can people get involved? It is on August 1st, which is the first uh, – it's uh, August 1st of 2016. The website is www.worldslargestgolfouting.com. People go to that website. There will be a map of the United States. Find a golf course near you. Click on it. Register. Create a team. And then – your, and then promote your team to your friends, send emails, phone calls, and talk to your colleagues and say, I'm playing in the event. Would you like to donate? All registration and donations are made online. And uh, in addition to that, there's, we've done some interesting things where there are some prizes. There's a grand prize for the team that raises the most money. This is really a non-competitive event. It's not about winning anything. And anybody who who can hold a golf club is eligible to play. It can, it's, it would be, it's an attractive opportunity for people who are passionate about golf and people who are new to golf. Men, women, kids, whatever. There's no restrictions whatsoever. So it's August 1st and www.worldslargestgolfouting.com is the place to go in order to get started. Peter, thank you for taking some time to be a part of this podcast and let people know about the great thing that is world's largest golf outing and, and hopefully you guys have a very successful run this year and each and every year after that thank you ryan thank you to peter hill for being a part of this program i i think it's extremely important to hear from him and what this event means for him you'll probably see more of him on golf channel in the coming days they're a media partner for the world's largest golf outing so you'll see some additional visibility as we get closer to the event here but hopefully you'll be able to go to world's largest golf com and maybe take a day off on August 1st, the day after the PGA, and play a little bit of golf and raise a little bit of money at the same time. So now we bring on David Coker, who, again, is the president of Fisher House Foundation. David, thank you for being with us. First, can you kind of tell us a, a little bit of background on how Fisher House got connected to Billy Casper Golf and the world's largest golf outing? Well, in the, the nonprofit world, rule number one is you have to answer the phone. <laughs> And we were fortunate enough to, to get a call and uh, simply to be asked if we would be interested in being a beneficiary uh, of Billy Casper Golf and the world's largest golf outing. Uh, being in our right minds, we said absolutely. <laughs> and they had a few questions. We told them about our mission and how we do business uh, and, and also about the, the, the ratings Fisher House enjoys from the major uh, watchdog groups, Charity Navigator and and uh, Charity Watch, uh, were very highly rated there. And I think we did a good job answering their questions, uh, and they invited us to uh, actually be a beneficiary, and we're just so excited about it. You know, the, 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 the money raised is, is absolutely phenomenal, but the awareness uh, that we're going to be able to enjoy from this and, and having thousands of golfers who may be going out just to enjoy a day of golf and they're going to learn about something called Fisher House. And, uh, you know, 
the, the, the blessings will continue and, and some of these golfers will support us for years to come and that's a that's a tremendous thing. For folks who aren't aware of Fisher House and what your mission is and what you do, can you give folks a little bit of background on that as well? Well, absolutely. Fisher House uh, works to support the quality of life of our military and veterans families. And we do that at the heart of our program is a a network now of uh, 70 comfort homes uh, that provide a home away from home where families can be with other families going through uh, a period of time when they're receiving significant medical care. They support one another. They're in a location close to the hospital, and it's all done free of charge. Uh, if you think about what Ronald McDonald houses do for children, we do the same thing for every member of the military family. So we help uh, everything from neonatal uh, cases to people dealing with oncology and, of course, our, our wounded heroes as well. You have a background in the United States military. You were in the Army, and you oh. retired from – or you joined the retired from the army, but joined the foundation in, in 1994. So you became a part of it right after the first Gulf War conflict. What what did that? What did your experience in the military compel you to continue serving our veterans well after a, a long career in the? What well, fulfillment do you get out of being part of Fisher House now? Oh gosh, I've got the best job in the world, and I'd, I'd argue anybody on that and win that one. Uh, when when I was on active duty, I was a, a health care administrator, and I was working at Fitzsimmons Army Medical Center, and we received the gift of a Fisher House. And I saw the difference it made in the lives of families who stayed there. Uh, one of the great things uh, about Fisher House is each one and, and each location has its own personality and its own mix of patients. Uh, at Fitzsimmons, uh, as it opened, uh, there were a lot of neonatal emergencies, a lot of young moms and dads who, uh, who had a, a, just a, a precious little boy or girl who was fighting for their lives. Uh, and to see the way that that those family bonded and the difference it made uh in those lives is is the magic of it all um and and to be able to continue to contribute uh lets me continue to be a part of the military community and continue to make a difference for the men and women who serve uh I grew up an army brat I had my career, and with Fisher House, I'm I'm able to continue to be a a, a part of the military healthcare system and the veterans healthcare system uh, by providing support that you normally wouldn't be able to find in those healthcare systems. So, how will you take part in the world's largest golf outing? What will you be doing on the day of the event? to mark the occasion for Fisher, Fisher House? Well, you know, we always want to be a good partner. So I've, I've got my team, Team Coker. Uh, you know, anybody can go to the World's Largest Golf Outing 
website and choose to support my team if they'd like. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to be out there. I've, I'm using the opportunity to uh, have my father, who's 95, he's a World War II veteran. Uh, he's going to be leading the team, and he still hits them right down the middle. Uh, I've, I've got myself, uh, and then I've got my son, who can hit the ball a lot further, not always staying in the fairway, but if he does that, that's a good thing. And every team needs a ringer, so I'm bringing my brother-in-law in. <laughs> but we're going to be... We're going to be out there, and we're going to be enjoying the day. Uh, I am what they call a charity golfer. Uh, I, I primarily play in charity golf tournaments, and sometimes I play poorly, but I never have a bad day on the golf course. Yeah, and it's kind of hard. We were saying before we started recording, it's kind of hard to have a bad day out on the golf course, and it's certainly almost impossible to have a bad day at World's Largest Golf Outing. And, and for folks who have listened to this show for a while, they know I've I've been involved with Billy Casper Golf in the past as an employee, and I've seen uh, what happens on this day, and it's it's moving, it's important, and it really puts things into perspective. And and I'm glad that Fisher House is now part of an occasion that a lot of people are going to be able to participate in and learn more about what you guys do and you continue to do and continue to expand. So I'm very excited for you guys and also for World's Largest Golf Valley to be able to continue to – it's mission. Well, and, and it, it's so important because when you get that phone call and, and you learn that a, a loved one is injured, is ill, or has been wounded, you want two things. You want the best medical care possible and you want to be there. Well, the military and VA healthcare systems do a great job of providing world-class healthcare. The challenge is having a place for the families to stay. And that's where we can come give the the, the the hospital, the medical center, a, a resource uh, that is going to make a difference and improve the quality of care and, and let the families, number one, be a part of the healing process, but at the same time, focus on simply getting better. You know, if, if you're worried about where your family is staying or what it's going to do to your budget, you're you're just not going to be able to focus on healing. Uh, but we work with the Secretary of Veterans Affairs and the Surgeons General, and they, excuse me, they tell us the right places to build these houses. And this year we'll be able to help 30,000 families. Uh, the average family is with us an average of nine days, but it's not unusual to have somebody who needs to be with us for a year. And the longest length of stay we've had is actually just shy of three years. Uh, and that was a, a mom supporting her son who was riding his motorcycle, hit a truck, and, 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 and lost the battle. Uh, she was his advocate, got him into the polytrauma uh, and traumatic brain injury uh clinic and service at uh, the Tampa VA, and uh, she worked with her son and the nurses and the physicians and the therapists for three years trying to bring him back, and, and they learned how to communicate by blinking, 
and he regained a little bit of movement in one of his hands. But even though the the outcome was not what we would have wanted, the gift she received is she'll never have to wonder, what if I had just given it another couple of months? You know, I didn't have the time to bring him back uh, to, to, to who he was. Uh, you know, sometimes that's the gifts you give. Uh, we always like it when uh, there's a, a complete recovery, but we know life happens, and it doesn't always happen the way we would like. Well, what you guys do at Fisher House is incredible. Uh, it's, again, so so great that you guys are going to be the, the beneficiary of what happens on world's largest golf outing, and, and hopefully as that event continues to grow, they pass the $1 million mark in a single day. I mean, I, I don't know many events anywhere that can raise a million dollars in a single day and have so many people connected through one activity together. Uh, so hopefully this continues to raise awareness of, of what Fisher House does and gets more people involved. Uh, ultimately, like you said, the, this, is the, this is the least we can do for people who put their lives on the line and, and dedicate their livelihood to making sure we're, we're safe here or around the world in, in the most difficult of circumstances, and including yourself. So, oh, David, thank you for being on the show, telling us about it, and we're so glad that you're a part of the world's largest golf outing. Well, thank you. And, and you know, golfers are, are, are great people uh, and generous people. And, and, and one of the things I love most when I get outside of of, of D.C. is you, you really do see what a grateful nation that still is. And sometimes we forget that. And for those who go to the 1757 Golf Club after August the 1st, I can promise you I will leave a few balls around the course. <laughs> you do a little brand marketing uh, through the golf tournament. <laughs> I, I use all the tools at my disposal. That's right. That's a, that is a, a fundraiser's toolkit right there. And now we can add golf balls to it. <laughs> hey, thanks so much, Ryan. Thanks again, David. Thanks to David Coger for being a part of the show. I really enjoyed speaking with him. He was in Charleston, South Carolina at the time we were speaking, getting ready to do some meetings and more research on bringing another Fisher House to another part of the country. Obviously, Charleston has some military connections. And I, I really admire the work that they do. Uh, and it's really cool to see a, a great organization that's kind of quietly been doing this great work for nearly 25 years, as I said, get a little bit of additional exposure because of this event and, and so many people connected to it. So if you have a chance, check them out uh, online at Fisher House Foundation. So that'll do it for us this week on the show. Next week, we'll talk about the Canadian Open. We'll try and delve a little bit into the Senior Open and the UL International Crown. We'll obviously preview the PGA Championship. This will all be recorded up at Baltus Raw. And then next Saturday, the week of the PGA Championship, I'm going to be subbing in for our friend Brian Taylor, who is the host, one of the hosts of Real Golf Radio, a nationally syndicated show, who, which he does with one of Billy Casper's sons, Bob Casper. And Bob and I are going to broadcast from Baltus Raw on Saturday morning. We'll tell you a little bit more about that on Twitter and also on our website as well. But stay tuned for that, and that'll be a good two hours of radio to get you ready for the third round on Saturday. So until then, please, if you listen to us on iTunes, give us a five-star review. It doesn't take too long. We just need the five stars. If you want to write some stuff out, we appreciate it too. 
You can email me, Ryan, at thegolfnewsnet.com with thoughts and questions as well. Please download the GNN app. You can listen to all of our podcasts, live GNN radio, view all of our content, including our articles and videos. It's available for Apple and Android devices, so go to your app store and check that out. And we will see you next, we'll talk to you next time from Baltusrol in New Jersey. Springfield, New Jersey is where we'll be for the fourth and final major of the year, the PGA Championship. So until then, I'm Ryan Balaji saying thanks so much for listening and for all your support, and we'll talk to you then.